Well, welcome to all of you this morning. Uh, today we follow the order of service in the supplement, and the hymn numbers are also all in the supplement, so we won't have to shuffle back and forth between uh, different books. We won't be able to do that all the time because uh, it does not have uh, near all the hymns in it that will uh, probably be in the new hymnal when it is finished. But our opening hymn this morning is, When O'er My Sins I Sorrow. And we sing the first three verses now, and uh, we will sing the second uh, part of that, verses four through seven, uh, just before the sermon. So, When O'er My Sins I Sorrow, hymn 19.
stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and truly repent of them, and I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you who heartily repent of your sins, believe on Jesus Christ, and sincerely and earnestly purpose by the assistance of God the Holy Ghost henceforth to amend your sinful lives. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. For our psalm today, if you would turn to the inside cover of your bulletin, we read Psalm 91 responsibly, again, the congregation, reading those verses in full type. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Therefore I will 
He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end.
You may be seated. Our first reading for today is recorded in Genesis chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and, hid my, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, curse it as the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand, and take also the tree of life, and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. 
So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here ends our first reading. I ask, I ask you to rise, please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel appointed for today is recorded in St. Matthew's Gospel in the fourth chapter, beginning at the first verse. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here ends our reading of the Holy Gospel. We join in confessing our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one holy Christian and apostolic church, 
I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. We continue our worship by singing verses 4 through 7 of hymn 19, When O'er My Sins I Sorrow. Thank you. 
invite you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we again pray that you would grant to us your Holy Spirit, that your Spirit would bless both the speaking and the hearing of your word this day, that we might be strengthened in our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him alone for forgiveness and everlasting life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of God, which we consider today, is recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 3 in the opening verses, where it says, What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some of them did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Over the past few weeks, we have seen the righteous judgment of God upon sinful man the true judgment of God upon those who break God's law, who do what God's law forbids. And first of all, we saw that those who reject the knowledge that God, the knowledge of God, which is revealed through God's creation, which is written on our hearts, which is written in the scriptures, that God turns them over to their own devices. And we see 
the steps as that leads to further and further corruption. And we see that obviously those who do these things, who commit fornication, who practice homosexuality, who do all these things listed in chapter one, obviously they are deserving of the wrath of God. They even recognize that they deserve God's wrath, but they take pleasure in those who do them. But lest we become puffed up, or the Jewish reader become puffed up, St. Paul reminded them, you know, you who say it's wrong to commit murder, do you commit murder? And all we have to do is look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and we see how the command against murder is not just not to kill, but if we hate somebody, if we say evil name or call them names or do anything to hurt or harm them in their body, we are guilty of breaking this command. You know, we say you should not commit adultery, but do we commit adultery? And Jesus points out, even if you, even if a man looks at a woman to desire her for himself, when she's not his wife, he's committing adultery. And of course, we could go through all the commandments this way. And so we see that those who have the law are not just just by having the law, nor are they just if they just keep the outward minimum, but they are only just on the basis of the law if they keep that law perfectly in their thoughts, desires, words, and deeds. And as the end of chapter 2 pointed out, that circumcision is profitable if you keep the law, but if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And in the end of this chapter, he says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And we can take and apply that very same thing to us and to our baptism, that just being baptized if we do not follow through and believe the gospel message, the baptism, even though you know, I don't question its validity or that God works through baptism, but the baptism does not profit or benefit us because of our unbelief. Just having these things and saying, yes, I'm a Christian, I've been baptized, I go to church, is great. But if you don't trust in Christ, what benefit? is that to you? And that's kind of where we take off today in chapter 3. Paul points out, well, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? What he said might lead people to think, well, you know, well, what, what benefit is there even in bothering to be circumcised or to be a Jew and to read the scriptures, or we might say, well, what benefit is there even to be baptized and to go to church if we can't live up to the law anyway and we fail to live up and we stand condemned by the law? But Paul's answer is much in every way. And so there is great benefit for the Jew to be circumcised and to hear the law of God. And he says, chiefly, in other words, the main, the most important reason here 
is to them were committed the oracles of God. That also applies to us. What benefit is there for us to be baptized, to go to church, to hear God's word, to have Bibles and to read and study them? The benefit is that we have the word of God. We have also the sacraments that he has given us, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And God uses these things to create faith and to strengthen and preserve our faith. And Paul says, for what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And his answer is, certainly not. You know, uh, the King James translates it, God forbid. The word God is not actually there in the Greek text, but the thought, the thought is, you know, just in no way. You know, perish the thought. It couldn't be that. So certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written. And so if some come to church, they're baptized, they hear the word of God, they may even be confirmed, they may even partake of the Lord's Supper, but they do not believe. Does that, as it says here, make the faithfulness of God without effect? Is God not faithful to us in his promises? And the answer is certainly not. Perish the thought. God is true. God keeps his word. God keeps his promise. And God has promised to those who believe and are baptized that they will be saved. And through our baptism, we are given the grace and mercy of God were brought into this new covenant relationship with God, and he gives us his Holy Spirit who works in our hearts to bring us to faith and keep us in faith. Through the Lord's Supper, we are assured of God's mercy and forgiveness because we partake of his sacrifice. We partake of his body and blood given and shed for us on the cross. If we don't believe, it doesn't make God a liar. It makes us a liar. We are not believing and accepting it, and so it may not benefit us, but God's word is certainly true. And if we don't believe the gospel, that doesn't make the gospel false. You know, many people today in our somewhat existential times like to say, you know, well, what's in this book is true for you, if it helps you, but it's not true for me because, you know, I don't believe it. It doesn't help me. Well, it's true for everybody. It benefits those who believe. And if we hear the word and we receive the sacraments and we do not believe, we actually stand a greater judgment against us than those who have never heard, those who have never had this great privilege. And think about what a great privilege it is for us who have been brought up in the church. We've been baptized as babies or little children, and we have heard the word of God from little on, and we continue to hear the word of God. What a blessing that is to us. That in itself, if we look at it as in our work, is not going to benefit us, but it's a benefit to us because God works through that to bring us to faith, to keep us in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people today like to look at 
testimonies of Christians and they see, you know, the Christian who was a drug addict or a murderer or a rapist or something and he's converted and he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They say, oh, what a, what a beautiful uh, testimony how God has worked in their heart. But an even greater testimony is, by the grace of God, I was born to parents who brought me to church and baptized me, who taught me the word of God, who saw that I heard the word of God, and through all my life, I've heard the word of God, and I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That just shows how God is merciful, how he works through word and sacrament to keep us in the faith and preserve us in the faith. It says here, as it is written, and then it goes and it quotes from Psalm 51, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. And if you look in Psalm 51, this is the psalm that David prayed after his sin with Bathsheba and his sin in killing Uriah were brought to the front of his attention by Nathan the prophet. And when he confessed his sin, he said that God would be just in condemning him. The problem was not God. The problem was David. David had disobeyed the word of the Lord. That did not make God a liar. It made David a liar for thinking that he could break these commandments and not suffer the consequences. And so if God had judged David and condemned him, God would be just because God's word is true. And so often we like to, you know, people like to blame God for everything. You know, we, God warns us, you know, that if we disobey our parents and we disobey our rulers, that, you know, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be punishment. You know, the, the Proverbs even describes, you know, that the vultures are going to, eat your eyes out, you know, that you're going to end up dead somewhere and the wild animals are going to eat you. Well, God warns of these things. And then when our life, we disobey the Lord and our life falls apart, then we say, well, God, why did you let this happen to me? God didn't let it happen to us and God didn't bring the evil upon us. He told us that this is the, these are the things that are going to happen to you if you turn aside from my Word. He told the children of Israel, he gave them warnings that, you know, if you hold fast to my covenant, if you continue in my word, if you obey my commandments, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to have all these blessings in the land where you dwell. But if you turn aside to idols, if you disobey my commandments, here are the things that are going to happen to you. And he speaks about the, the diseases and the sicknesses and being, you know, conquered by enemies and taken into captivity. When it happened, whose fault was it? You know, it's kind of like if somebody were to go up on the roof of our building, and I know Bill has been up there a few times. If you decided to jump off, you know, I can tell you, because there's a law of gravity, if you jump off the roof, if you survive, it's really going to hurt. <laughs> Chances are you may not even survive. And if he goes and does that, whose fault is it if he dies or his 
severely hurt. And that's kind of how it is with us and God. You know, God's word is true. He warns us, you do these things and this is what's going to happen. If you keep my commandments, these are the good things that are going to happen as a result. And when we disobey, you know, we like to say, oh God, you, why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting these things happen to me? Well, he warned us. And his word is true, even if we are liars. It says, but if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? And so Paul here is presenting, you know, using this form of teaching where he presents an argument against the truth, and then he gives the answer in order to teach the truth. And some would say, you know, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, and the Jews probably could certainly look at that, you know, look at, look at how God led them to the wilderness and they were unrighteousness and all these bad things happened, but yet God in his mercy forgave them and brought them into the land. They turned aside into idolatry and God's judgments came and they were carried away into exile, but God brought them back. And so their, their wickedness actually exalts the truthfulness of God's word because what he said would happen happened. And it also exalts his mercy. And so Paul's question here is, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, should God maybe just excuse us because we're actually proving his word is true? We're actually showing how great his mercy is when he forgives us, so should we just not be punished? God just Shouldn't God just pass over that because we're actually giving him glory by being evil? And Paul's point is certainly not that how then could God judge the world in fairness and justice if he did such a thing? And he goes on with that thought, for if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported and the sum affirm that we say. And so he again raises this argument that if the truth of God is increased, if people see the truthfulness of God's word, through our own failings, then why does God still judge us a sinner? And, you know, why don't we say, let, let us do evil that good may come? You know, using that example of testimonies, in order to bring more glory to God, wouldn't it be better if I went out and robbed a few banks or killed a few people or was a rapist or did something like that and then repented and was converted? You know, does that bring more glory to God? Well, that's kind of the argument that's being used here. This argument comes back again in Romans chapter 6, where Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because we know that God's grace covers all our sins, so shouldn't we sin more so that God's grace may abound more? And, of course, Paul's answer in chapter 6 is the same as here. God forbid, certainly not. You know, this is foolishness. And some even slanderously reported that 
this was the Christian doctrine. And I think the Jews probably brought this up, and we hear people bring this up today. When we teach that we are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ and not by any works that we do, people say, well, if you're not under the law, then you can do whatever you please. That teaching that you are justified by God's grace alone and through faith alone just means that you don't need to worry about doing any of these things. You can just go ahead and sin and enjoy life and God will forgive you. And perhaps objective justification uh, teachers are even more subject to that because they're falsely teaching that everybody's already forgiven for everything 2,000 years ago. And so why not? Why worry about it? Why not just sin? And of course, Paul's answer is their condemnation is just. You know, this is falsehood. And when God judges, he is just in condemning them. He then goes on to ask the question, what then are we better than they? Speaking of the Jews, you know, are the Jews better than the Gentiles? And you know, we as Lutherans could say, are we as Lutherans better than all the other people out there in the world? Because, you know, we have the word of God, we have the true teaching God's word, and we have the sacraments. Uh, so are we better than they? And he says, not at all. For we have previous, previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And we saw that in the first two chapters. And then he says, as it is written. So we have the scriptures. And so we go to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? He begins by reading from Psalm 14 and Psalm 51, or Psalm 14, the first three verses, Psalm 53, the first three verses. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. This is what the Bible says about each and every one of us. As we are by nature, as we are when we're born into this world, none of us are righteous, none of us understands the things of God or can even see his kingdom. None of us by nature seek after God. We have all turned aside. We've together become unprofitable to God. There is none who does good, no, not one. So all the things that we do that we think are good are not good in God's eyes because they're not done for the right reason. It says, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. And so again, quoting from the Psalms, it points out that you know, our throat, what we say, what comes out of our mouth, is like what comes out of a tomb when it's opened up and the stench of death comes out. Jesus said, out of the heart proceed, proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, thefts, fornications, and you know the list of things. These are the things that defile a man. And so out of our heart, as we are by nature, all these sinful things 
that make us unclean, unacceptable to God, come out. It's kind of like an open tomb. You know, the tomb may be pretty on the outside, but when you open up, what's inside? Dead men's bones and the stench of death. You know, with their tongues, they have practiced deceit. They mislead people, false doctrine, errors in, in being expressed. But the poison of asps is under their lips. I don't know a lot, a lot about an asp, except it's a poisonous serpent. And in its mouth are fangs, which when they bite you, inject venom, which kills you. So this is how our mouth is described whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, as we saw that in Hosea, blood next to blood, blood touching blood. There's so much blood being shed. And so our feet are swift to do harm to others and to even participate in things which kill others. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. And then it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. The fear of God here is respect or honoring God. Think of the world. How much respect and honor does the world have for God? That's how all of us came into this world. All of us by nature would not have any respect or honor for God, but we go, as it says in Isaiah 63, we've all turned aside, we've gone our own way. Then we see the purpose of God's law. You know, we've seen that it's a benefit to have God's law, but if we don't keep the law and we're depending upon the law, you know, it doesn't truly benefit us. It gives us false hope and comfort until we break the law and realize we've broken the law, and then it condemns us. And so what is the purpose of the law? What is the benefit of having the law of God? Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so we are greatly blessed to have the law of God. We're greatly blessed to learn the Ten Commandments and to learn what they mean. But if we depend upon them, we can't be saved because we break them. The law of God was given not just to show us what's good and right, but also to show us where we weren't good and right, to show us our sin and to show us what the law says, the soul that sins die. In the same way as Adam and Eve did not have to break a bunch of God's commandments in the Garden of Eden, but only had to break that one commandment, not to eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. So also, even if we could keep all of God's commandments and we break one, we're still guilty before God. As a driver on our highways, I don't have to break the speed limit every day or even five or 10 times before I'm guilty. 
If it happens to be the only time that I'm not paying attention and I break the speed limit and I get stopped and get written a ticket, or even if I don't get stopped, I'm still a lawbreaker. And so when we break God's commandment, even if we break it just one time, we are a lawbreaker. And of course, when we really look at the commandments, we are continually breaking them. And we are guilty before God. Next week, we'll hear the gospel. <laughs> Next week, we will hear that there is a, another way to be saved. Since we cannot keep the law, since we're guilty under the law, and God is just when he punishes sin, God has provided another way for you and for me to be saved, and that is in his son, Jesus Christ. He kept those commands for us, not just outwardly, but in his thoughts, desires, his words, his actions. And then he went to the cross and he took the punishment that the law demands for the sins of the whole world. Through faith in Jesus and his cross, God pardons us, forgives us, and accepts us as his dear children. And so the law is our schoolmaster to bring us, to point us to Jesus, to what he has done for us, that we might trust in him and have forgiveness in life. God grant that we study the law, that we learn the law, that we see our sinfulness and also know the will of God for us, but that we then humble ourselves, acknowledge our sins, acknowledge our failures, and look to the perfect life of Jesus, to his innocent sufferings and death on the cross as an atonement for the sins of all, and that through faith in Jesus we have forgiveness in life. God grant this to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. I ask you to please stand. The peace of God which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I should point out to you that the true person responsible for the delay in the keyboard playing is not the keyboard player, it's a preacher because it shuts off after 30 minutes of inactivity, which means I preached too long <laughs> and it made it shut off and she had to restart it and wait for it to come back on before she could play. We continue our worship by bringing forward our offering. Thank you. 
I invite you to please stand and join in the prayers of the church. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank thee for all thy goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of thy dear Son and for the revelation of thy will and grace. And we beseech thee so to implant thy word in us that in good and honest hearts we may keep it and bring forth fruit by patient continuance in well-doing. Most heartily, we beseech thee so to rule and govern thy church universal with all its pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of thy saving word, whereby faith toward thee may be strengthened and charity increased in us toward all mankind. Grant also health and prosperity to all in authority, especially to the President and Congress of the United States, the Governor and Legislature of this Commonwealth, to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after thy good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please thee also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any adversity, we remember especially today Linda, and Joyce, Matthew, and Carl, and Harley. We remember also especially those who are suffering for thy name and for thy truth's sake, O God, that thy Holy Spirit, that, O God, with thy Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as their manifestation of thy fatherly will. And although we have deserved thy righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat thee, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth or our many transgressions, but out of thine unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul, Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of thy mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble show thyself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause also the needful fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with thy blessings. These and whatsoever other things thou wouldest have us ask of thee, O God, vouchsafe unto us for the sake of the bitter sufferings and death of Jesus Christ, Thine only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever God, world without end. Amen. You may be seated. We sing hymn number 31, The Lord's My Shepherd, I'll Not Want. 
as we purpose to come to the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, it becometh us diligently to examine ourselves as St. Paul exhorteth us. For this holy sacrament hath been instituted for the special comforting and strengthening of those who humbly confess their sins and who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But if we thus examine ourselves, we shall find nothing in us but only sin and death from which we can in no wise set ourselves free. Therefore our Lord Jesus Christ hath had mercy upon us, 
and hath taken upon himself our nature, that so he might fulfill for us the whole will and law of God. And for us and for our deliverance suffered death and all that we by our sins have deserved. And to the end that we should the more confidently believe this and be strengthened by our faith in a cheerful obedience to his holy will, he hath instituted the holy sacrament of his supper in which he feedeth us with his body and giveth us to drink of his blood. Therefore, whoso eateth of this bread and drinketh of this cup, firmly believing the words of Christ, dwelleth in Christ, and Christ in him, and hath eternal life. We should also do this in remembrance of him showing his death, that he was delivered for our offenses, and raised again for our justification, and rendering unto him most hearty thanks for the same, take up our cross and follow him according to his commandment, love one another, even as he hath loved us. For we are all one bread and one body, even as we are all partakers of this one bread and drink of this one cup. The Lord be with you. Lift up your heart. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto Thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, everlasting God who on the tree of the cross did give salvation unto mankind, that whence death arose, thence life also might rise again, that he who by a tree once overcame might likewise by a tree be overcome through Christ our Lord. Therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name evermore praising thee and saying, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Christ the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink ye all of it this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for all your sins. The Lord bless you and keep you in his baptismal grace. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for all your sins.
drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, shed for the remission of all your sins. Take and drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, shed for the remission of all your sins. I ask you to please stand. Now may this holy body and precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you for Jesus' sake.
give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. We give thanks unto thee, almighty God, that thou hast refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we beseech thee that of thy mercy thou wouldst strengthen us through the same, in faith toward thee, and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. of the Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. You may be seated. We close by singing hymn 64. Now thank we all our God.
You may be seated. Again, a welcome to all of you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the announcements are on the top and the back of the bulletin. Again, we have Bible study uh, this Wednesday, March 1st at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll be in Hosea chapter 5. Uh, if any of you have wished to listen to the Bible study, uh, they are online. If you go to the worship and podcast, uh, they're saved as a, as a podcast and they're labeled Hosea. Uh, so you can catch up if you like. Uh, next Sunday is our regular uh, March uh, potluck dinner and, and uh, congregational meeting. So that I encourage you to uh, be here for that, partake of the meeting. Uh, then second, Ladies Second Saturday Brunch is 11 a.m. on Saturday, March 11th, which will be not next Saturday, but the following. Any other announcements? Yes. Right after the sermon, he did good because it was still on, and I started to play it, and it went off. <laughs> <laughs> so I came close. Maybe I made it, and just the extra... And it's, you know, we've all learned it one way. And so I, I keep singing it the wrong way. And then I have to look at the music. No, they, they made that a, a whole note or a half note. And, be, yeah. and then two short ones, you know, and it's just a little different. So, but overall, it seems to work okay. Some of the hymns are, the melodies are a little harder. I don't know whether, you know, they might change something when they actually produce the final hymnal, but I don't know. I know that, you know, some of them know this well, and, and uh, just that we don't necessarily know it well. So, again, God's blessing to you and your Lord Jesus. Thank you. Mm -hmm.